Is the biblical Sabbath still in effect today? And if so, who's it for? Is it mandatory? When is it? How do we keep it? Are there any advantages to those who do keep the Sabbath? I want to know. I want to welcome all of you to this week's episode of the Doctrine of Christ with myself and Brother Jimmy Cooper, and we're so honored that you're joining us because whether you know it or not, the Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. So welcome each and every one of you, and um, it seems like every week I say, man, this is such an important teaching, but man, this is such an important teaching on the Sabbath today, Brother Jimmy. Very important. I can't wait. And uh, we're not going to wait. We're going to jump into the scripture and we're going to get into Mark chapter three and we're going to be pretty comprehensive. We want to try to cover a lot of the questions that people ask about the Sabbath. And um, let's just jump in. Uh, Mark chapter three will begin in verse one and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand and they watched him whether he would heal him on the sabbath day that they might accuse him and he saith unto the man which had the withered hand stand forth and he saith unto them is it lawful to do good on the sabbath days or to do evil to save life or to kill but they held their peace And when he had looked round about on them with anger. Now notice here that Jesus is mad. He's angry. And Jesus did not violate the Sabbath. The problem was the Pharisees and the way that they wanted to interpret it and all of the extra junk they would put on it. And my first good statement on the Sabbath, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. You might make Jesus mad. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Now, this was the place where we see the Pharisees and the Herodians hooking up to seriously get to work on killing Jesus. And it was over the Sabbath on him violating what they thought the Sabbath should be conducted. And here again, Jesus was not a Sabbath breaker. I want to read a statement from Richard Watson here to kind of set the tone. And we're going to get into a lot of history. We're going to look at historically all the way from the early church in scripture and throughout church history about the understanding of the Sabbath and, and a lot of things to help us understand 
and uh, I know the Lord's going to help us. And Richard Watson, who was the um, premier Wesleyan Armenian theologist uh, in his book, I love it, Theological Institutes, Volume 2. It's my favorite systematic theology. And the fact that I have a favorite systematic theology might make me weird. I don't know. I don't think so. But this is good stuff. And he is one of the most level-headed guys, and I've loved reading on the Sabbath. We're going to look at some things. You need to take a picture of your library for us all to see one day. Well, I'm going to do that, Lord willing, when we get moved and we have the the bookcases to get them up. I want to do that. And on the new studio, when we get moved, I'll be there at a desk with my books behind me. And That's going yeah, to be so cool. It's going to, I can't wait. And all of you just keep praying and believing God uh, for that because I'm real excited, as you can tell. But this is what Richard Watson said. And my favorite people, I love the uh, Wesley and those that followed him. I love the Puritans. I love the old nonconformist Baptist, Gill, Spurgeon, really good guys. And they were all very, very strong on the Sabbath. Now, at, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, among the Bible believers, if you were not honoring Sabbath, you were called an antinomian. And you were just pretty much written off as not a true sincere believer at all by any of the groups that were really sincere in serving God. Now today, boy, has that changed. But this is what Brother Watson said. He said, to this we add that if the moral law be the law of Christians, then is the Sabbath as strictly enjoined upon them as upon the Jews. But that the moral law is our law as well as the law of the Jews, all but antinomians must acknowledge. That means someone that just says the law has passed away, which a lot of people take that stance today. Yeah. And few suppose, and few we suppose will be inclined to run into that fear into the fearful mazes of antinomianism. Now he's saying here that very few people will be so crass as to actually say the Ten Commandments don't apply to them. Boy, has that changed. And you were really looked upon as a false teacher by any of the, the Wesleyans or the Puritans or the nonconformist Baptists, all zealous uh, keepers of the Sabbath. He said, in order to support lax, no lax notions as to the obligation of the Sabbath, into which, however, they must be plunged if they deny the law of the Decalogue to be binding upon us. And today, uh, denying the Ten Commandments is one of the foundations of dispensationalism. That law, it's gone. It's all gone. The Ten Commandments, yeah, they're all gone. And that's scary. That's really scary. Now, I would say from the start, and I want to read another thing he said. It's real good. We're going to talk about what to do to honor the Sabbath, uh, when the Sabbath really is, so many things. But this is his, Richard Watson's kind of statement on Sabbath observance. He said, it is a day of rest from worldly pursuits, a day sanctified that is set apart for holy uses, which we are the proper and the only, which are the proper and the only occupation of the day. It is a day of public worship, or as it is expressed in the Mosaic law of holy convocation or assembly. And 
we're going to see as we go forward that there were some in the early church, they observed the Sabbath and rested and worshiped on Sunday. So, you know, today a lot of people, uh, because sad to say, a lot of your groups that have been Sabbatarians, Seventh-day Adventist, Armstrong, Church of God, they have some really wacky, wacky things that they teach. And observing the Sabbath uh, has like a bad reputation among a lot of people because of these groups. But uh, honoring the Sabbath is something from the very earliest times in the church all through godly believers that have really preached the gospel and made a difference. They have most definitely honored the Sabbath, and most important, Jesus did too. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, 16. We talk about the cross, the doctrine, and the example of Christ, and Jesus honored the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. He was, that was his custom, his habit, his obedience to the Father. He observed the Sabbath, and he attended on public worship on the Sabbath. Now, that's because he hadn't died yet, right? And everything changed. No, he hadn't. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to see that, too. Um, this is what the Sunday he was still Sabbath, a Jew at that point. Yeah. he. <laughs> you know, isn't that crazy? I'm, I'm, no, I'm being silly. Yeah, you're, you're being silly, Jimmy. But, but, that's, but, silly. but that's how it that's how people talk about it. Yeah. It's just like but, how you said on last episode about dispensationalists saying that the Sermon on the Mount and most of Jesus' teachings are not for Christians. They were for the Jews. Yeah, Ten Commandments. And I tell you, that's dangerous. Yeah. Now, there is grace. We're going to talk about grace and what we can have acceptable differences of opinion on. But for the people that are not trying to observe a day, I think you're in big trouble. Because the Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. and uh, I have two friends right now that will tell you every day is the Sabbath. Yeah. And they mean That's, it. Yeah, because the Sabbath's gone, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about that Sabbath rest of Christ. But Jesus kept the Sabbath, number one. That's a fact. And there's nothing, nothing in any of the Gospels where Jesus in any way did away with or changed the Sabbath. And it's so clear from the Gospels that the people that knew him best, they kept the Sabbath. Now let's read a, read a text, and I'm talking the seventh-day Sabbath here. Um, Luke chapter 23, and let's begin in verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was shewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation of, 
and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher, how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. Now, here we have people and these women came from Galilee. They knew him. They were traveling with him. The people that knew him best observed the seventh day Sabbath. He didn't teach anything that the Sabbath would be changed or done away with. After he died, his closest followers were observing the Sabbath. Number one, Jesus kept the Sabbath. Number two, nothing in the Bible to say he changed it or done away with it. Number three, his followers in the gospel kept the seventh day Sabbath. Now, I think people take a little bit too much on themselves when they teach what's not in the Bible instead of what's in the Bible. You know, I mean, what we're teaching here is what's in the Bible. And of course, the same thing happens here. They go to text of Paul and they try to make Paul more important than Jesus. And they try to pit Jesus against Paul and say, now, Paul, he didn't teach what Jesus did. And we get a fuller revelation. That is such a lie. That is such a lie. And uh, we're going to look at some of those most controversial texts before we're done. Because, um, you know, this is just really a no-brainer. And I just, it's just our prayer that just by laying out these facts, I mean, these are just facts. And they're facts that can't be contested. Yeah. So, you know... I think we're on pretty safe ground observing the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And as we observe the Sabbath, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. People will want to call and email, and they'll want me to micromanage how they observe the Sabbath. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I don't need to do it because the Holy Spirit needs to tell you how to do it. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that, well, he told me every day's the Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath's done away what the Lord told me. No, he didn't. Didn't tell you nothing like that. But if you are trying to observe the day, the Holy Spirit will show you how to do it. Now, in Isaiah chapter 58, this is one of the best uh, rules. Uh, and it's really not a rule. It's just the precept here from the prophets. And, I, and you know, I loved what Richard Watson said. It's, it's the day. It, you give it to him. You know, it's not for you. It's for him. Uh, and it's for you, too. You know, it's made for you to be a blessing. It's your day to study, to pray, uh, set apart for him. Rest. Um, yeah, rest. And um, and we're going to see as we go on in early church that there was some that rested on Sabbath, worshiped on Sunday. And it's it's amazing. Uh, Isaiah 58. Let's look at verse 13. I love this. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure, and that's the thing, you know, 
It's for the Lord. It's not for your pleasure. And if you love the Lord, that's my pleasure to pray and study and minister. That's my pleasure. On my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. You know, it's a blessing. It's delight when the Sabbath comes. Man, that's great. The holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways. And here's the principle, not doing thine own ways, thy pleasure. That's not what this day's about. It's for the Lord, nor doing thine own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord. Now, is there a blessing here for honoring the Sabbath? I know you testify to this. I think anybody that begins to honor the Sabbath, that they talk about what a blessing it is. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And I cannot emphasize to people strongly enough what a blessing the Sabbath is. Just make it the Lord's day, and you cannot go back and uh, micromanage the Sabbath regulations for when Israel is in the land. Now, there's some precepts there, but you can't micromanage them and try to shackle people with those. Yeah, you I'm, have to let the Holy Spirit lead you. Yeah, I'm thinking about comments on this already. Oh, yeah. Uh, about, what well, does that mean when you can't do your own pleasure? I mean, what's that mean? You know, is... You know, I mean, is it is it just all day long reading and praying and resting and you can't sit on the back deck with your family or I mean, what's I mean, there has to be something to that. And I know people are going to be wondering about it. Yeah. And I would say, just like we started out, don't be a Pharisee and don't listen to Pharisees. It's a day and it's a day of rest and it's a day for you to be able to just sit and meditate with the Lord, and, uh, you know, and when you begin to micromanage it, that's when you're going to lose the blessing. And Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And there is grace on the way the Holy Spirit leads us to observe the Sabbath. Now, here again, I'm not talking about people that are not wanting to observe the day, but we need to be very serious about setting the Sabbath apart and about allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in how we honor that day. And it will change because life is a, is a fluid situation. And just like Jesus, there was another time he was walking through the field of grain and they were plucking, you know, some grain there and, oh no. And, uh, that was another showdown, but you see, there was a need there and they met that need by getting the grain. And that was what Jesus did and said, well, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? Yeah, it's right to do good. So, you know, somebody has a need, uh, yeah, it's all right to, you know, if there's a legitimate need now, it would be a legitimate need with me because I'm not going to, you know, it's someone, if a friend is really in trouble, sure, we help them. Even an animal, you know, if your animal falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, yeah, you pull him out. Yeah. 
So just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Yeah. Don't be a Pharisee. Honor the day and uh, let the Holy Spirit lead you. That's all we got to do. And uh, whenever we start being a Pharisee, you know, it's going to it's going to be um, going to be messed up. Well, like you yeah. said, I mean, if we start and our intention is to set this day apart, honor it, and we don't know exactly how to do it other than I'm not going to work today. And I'm just going to rest, and I'm going to read my Bible extra today and prayer. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to—he's going to start telling us, "All right, you're doing good now. Now next Sabbath, remember what you did this time. I, maybe don't do that. I mean, I think He'll just tell us. Sure, He will. Ba- you know, a step at a time. He will. Yeah, absolutely, He will. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Sabbath as a sign. Um, as Exodus 31, let's look at verse 16 and 17. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. Now, I want that sign to be present in my life, Amen. that I am honoring the Sabbath because I am a part of the Israel of God and that the Ten Commandments, that they're my law. It's not just the Jewish law and the Jewish law. It's God's law. It's not just, shouldn't even call it Jewish law. It's God's law. That's my law. Yeah, it was, and it was established from creation. There yeah. was no Jewish race at that time or ethnicity or whatever you want to call it, Absolutely. religion. It, wasn't. it goes right back to uh, the seventh day, right from creation. And it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And that's pointing us back to that original Sabbath there. Now, there's also something here. I want to tie it in a little bit prophetically. Now, I believe that honoring the Sabbath is important for God's people as we head into serious tribulation. I believe, uh, and of course, all obedience to God, but especially the Sabbath. And I'll show you why here in two scriptures. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it talks about the end time remnant. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the commandments of God, that's going to include the Sabbath. And if we say, well, I'm going to obey the commandments of God, but I'm going to throw the Sabbath out and we'll put the law of tithing in, you know, I think you're in trouble. But that's the end time remnant. We're going to obey not only the doctrine of Christ, but the commandments of God. And we've done entire teachings how Jesus said that the law's not passed away. We're to honor it and to and to fulfill God's moral law. Now, let's look at a text that I believe is very important um, in Exodus 16, and it's the story of the manna. And if they were not obedient to the Sabbath, they were not provided for. And as long as they were honoring the Sabbath, they were supernaturally provided for. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. I 
once this COVID stuff happened, when things were shutting down, I've been busier than ever. Yeah. I mean, I can't almost, there's not enough hours in a day to get everything done. Yeah. Um, that's supernatural. It is. And I think we're coming into a time where there's supernatural blessings falling on God's obedient children. And he's just blessing our socks off here. It's just amazing. It's great. And uh, we're going to come into a time very soon, I believe, when things are going to get much, much more difficult. Now, let's just read the text. And in the wilderness wanderings, when the Lord provided for the children of Israel, this is a picture of the end time tribulation. We can look in the book of Revelation, the woman in the wilderness and it's the same thing. And this is a type of the end time remnant in that tribulation and God's provision. This is, uh, we've taught a lot of teachings on this, but let's just read Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. And he said unto them, this is that which the Lord has said, tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today and seethe, seethe that ye will seethe and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses saith, eat that today, for tomorrow is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day and for to gather, and they found none. God always be a knucklehead, didn't there? And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Violation of the Sabbath cut off their supernatural provision. And I believe mm. in the last days, people, and it's Revelation 12, 17, it's the commandments and the testimony of Jesus. People that do not honor the Sabbath, I would not extend any hope to them of supernatural provision. It's that important, as all the Ten Commandments are. And I, I'll just be real blunt, uh, and just, and I'm just being honest. I cannot extend any hope to people that want to throw the Ten Commandments out. They're very important, and we think, well, and today we got people. Well, I can be a Christian. The teachings of Christ aren't for me. I'm a Christian. The Ten Commandments don't apply. That's dangerous. And that is not Christianity. That's not the word of God. It's antinomianism, throwing out the law of God. And it's, uh, it, you know, I, well, it's dang do, you, do you think it's just the Sabbath law that is the only one they throw out? I mean, surely they don't think it's okay to kill or steal or uh, commit adultery or covet or uh, dishonor your parents or uh, love the Lord thy God. I mean, which one? Is it, it's, it's just the Sabbath one, isn't it, that they have the biggest issue with? Hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, and really— But let's by be not doing that, then you're not probably keep loving the Lord thy God with, you know, more than it. 
Or if something's more important on Sabbath, could it be the uh, thou shalt have no more idols before me? I mean, what about that? Well, I think that in many, and I can't speak to all, but I'll say many of, of these churches that they're in the greasy grace, mega church mold, the biggest churches in America, that they have such a low level on sin and law that they just sin. They live like the devil. I mean, they, they holiness is gone. There is no striving for holiness and obedience on entire congregations. They are so lax and so loose that they believe this extreme once saved, always saved position and the greasy grace to where, I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. I don't there, you know, it's as bad as it ever was with the Catholic confessional where people will just sin and go uh, do their confessional. It's bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just a little bit bad. It's real bad. And uh, we've got to have the fear of God. We've got to have a respect for God's word and God's law. And a good place for people to start is the Sabbath. Because in America, the emphasis on the Sabbath in the American evangelical church is almost null and void, just almost null and void. And that is one of the big reasons why we see the spiritual temperature that we do uh, in the church in America. Yeah. I'm going to read a couple more things, and um, I want us to think about different ways people keep the Sabbath. Now, there are some that observe Sunday Sabbath. There are some that observe the Sabbath beginning Friday night at sundown, like the Jews do. Now, I observe Sabbath from sunup Saturday morning until sunup Sunday morning. That's the way I observe it. And I'm going to show from Scripture, I think that's just straight up. But I didn't always understand that. And I believe that uh, I've been a Sunday Sabbather, uh, sundown Friday Sabbather, and now I believe it's sun up on Saturday. Now, if I'd have died um, before I had my present understanding, I don't think I'd have been sent to hell. So we got to understand that we need to be able to give people a little grace here. And we're going to show there's some scriptures point us that way. And I've learned something else just this week that there were Puritans and Methodists and Baptists in England and America in the late 1700s and early 1800s that were honoring the Sabbath midnight to midnight. And they would do it like as soon uh, right at midnight when Saturday began till the next midnight. They wanted to get the whole day of Saturday in there, so they did it to midnight to midnight. So we got midnight to midnight, Friday night sundown, sun up to sun up, and we got Sunday, you know. And there have been godly people that have observed all of these. And if somebody is trying to keep a day, I don't have a problem with it. And you see, I'm not the guy you really need to worry about anyway. But if you're just going to say, the Sabbath's gone, uh, I don't have to honor it, I think you're in big trouble. I'll be honest with you. Now, let's read something here from uh, Brother Watson. And this is pretty profound to me. 
He says, <coughs> excuse me, the seventh day after six days of labor should be thus appropriated from whatever point the enumeration might set out of the hebdomodal cycle or the hebdomodal cycle begin. In other words, you've got to start sometime and you start working six, resting one. Now, if we're, are we on the actual cycle from creation when God worked six and rested one? Are we still on that exact cycle? Well, we There's, can, we can trace back to Jesus's day and he kept the seventh day Sabbath. Yeah. I mean, that's just 2,000 years ago. We can we can track that. And so I'm assuming everything that I've studied shows that even though we've been on different calendars, the se- it's never changed. The seventh day is, has always been the seventh day. Yeah, it's the seventh day. But are we on the actual cycle that was at the beginning? You know, we're keeping the seventh day on our calendar. But is that the exact cycle is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, um, but here's something else. Um, he goes on to say, and it cannot reasonably be reasonably be disputed that the command is truly obeyed by the separation of every seventh day from common to sacred purposes at whatever given time the cycle may commence. And here's, here's his point. Let's, let's look at the scripture. And this goes back to the original intent of the Sabbath as is laid out in Genesis chapter two. And the point he made is the Sabbath commandment is to work six and rest one in the original heart of the Sabbath. Now in uh, Genesis chapter two, Let's look at verses two and three. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So if somebody is working six and resting one, we can't say they're violating the original intent of the Sabbath because that's what it says. And let's go right over to, to the book of Exodus and let's read it in the 10 commandments. And brother Watson is the same, uh, is, is correct. Well, what that, if this week I decide to work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and you know, what if I just worked six random days out of the week and take different days off each week Well, as my one day. You're just playing fast and loose. (laughs) And I think you're going to crash and burn. And you see, this isn't uh, some um, fast and loose thing for people to see how goofy they can be. But it's also some spiritual parameters on the heart of the Sabbath to where we don't be a Pharisee, you see. Now, I believe that um, Sabbath begins sunup on Saturday. 
Now, if you believe Friday night, am I going to put you in hell? Now, I think I probably better not. There's some scripture on that. Or if you're a midnight to midnight or even a Sunday, which I think is wrong. But if you're working six, resting one, that's the original heart of the Sabbath. And even in the Ten Commandments, beginning in um, Exodus, uh, in chapter 20, and beginning in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou work and do thy labor. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So this is the Sabbath in creation and in the Ten Commandments. It says work six, rest one. So I think we better be careful flushing people into the abyss that are working six and resting one. Now, also, I think that if we do not sternly warn people that the Sabbath is still in effect, that if you're not trying to observe a day, that you're in big trouble. Here's another thing another fellow said. Um, his name was Holden. Richard Watson quotes him. He said, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, not the seventh according to any particular method of computing the septenary cycle, but in reference to the six before mentioned, every seventh day in rotation after six days of labor. Watson said, it is not, however, left to every individual to determine which day should be his Sabbath, though he should fulfill the law so far as to abstract the seventh part of his time from labor. It was ordained for public worship, and he goes on to say, if you worship in your assembly, you need to honor the Sabbath with the people you're assembling with. And there, just within the Methodist denomination, there were Sunday Sabbathers, there were midnight to midnight, and those are the ones I can prove what others we don't know. But that's what he's saying. Uh, and I agree with him. If people are working six and resting one, if and I think the Sunday thing's wrong, we'll talk about it. But there are people that believe that the example of Christ gives them the Sunday Sabbath. And some good men have believed that. And I'm not going to trouble them. What I will trouble people with if they think they can ignore the day. Now, let's see here. Uh, let's go into a little bit of church history and we'll try to understand how the thing broke down and uh, I believe in the seventh day, Saturday, Sabbath, sun up to sun up Sunday. And this was the way it was celebrated in the early church. Saturday. And, and I can prove that. I can prove that. Let's just prove that with one scripture. Uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. And if you would meditate on this scripture, it's game over on this issue. Matthew 28 and 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Now, that's all you need to know. There. It's right there. Sabbath ended sunup Sunday. 
That is the Sabbath in the Gospels. Yeah. That was observed by Christ. And we're going to look at the Genesis chapter, the uh, evening in the morning thing, too. That doesn't fly for the Friday night people. That, But anyway, uh, let's look at a little church history here. And um, let's go to uh, the Apostolic Fathers. And I want to read from a writing that was written about 140 A.D. And this guy honored the seventh day Sabbath. And we're going to see that up until the time of Constantine, the most prominent position for believers was honoring the Sabbath and gathering on the Lord's day. That can be proven from historical writings. We we're also going to see where the Sunday Sabbath position began and how to relate to that. And I think uh, here again, well, uh, let's just read some text. Um, this is the epistle to Diognetus. It's in the Apostolic Fathers, about 140 A.D., and what he says is very enlightening. But he says this, and it's a real picture into the worship of the Sabbath, first century A.D. We're talking between 100 and 150 A.D. He says, and next, I suppose that you are especially anxious to hear why Christians do not worship in the same way as the Jews. In any case, those who imagine that they are offering sacrifices to him by means of blood and fat and whole burnt offerings and are honoring him with these tokens of respect do not seem to me to be the least bit different from those who show the same respect to deaf images. So this fellow is saying now to the people that are still wanting to do the animal sacrifice, they're no different than people that are just blatantly worship idols. And he's right. Now, here's uh, let's read the text here. And this is one of the ones that is used frequently to say, now, Paul did away with the Sabbath. And this really is going to light this text up for us um, in Colossians chapter two and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. This is talking about commandments of men, and there's a big clue right here already. Now, in the Torah, we know there's clean and unclean meat, but the only restrictions on drink was for the vow of a Nazarite could not drink wine, and a priest could not drink wine before he went in to minister. That's the only thing there is. So mm -hmm. they were wanting to add some more stuff in there. What we, what they were, we don't know. So it's talking about man-made commandments as it is spelled out in verse 22, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Now, it says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now, if you weren't trying to keep the Sabbath, this text wouldn't even apply to you. It's talking about other people judging you on the way you observe the Sabbath and what days you choose to worship or not worship. Now, this should tell us something here. If I am not to let anyone judge me, I should be a little careful on judging other people. 
if they're honest hearted about observing a day and, uh, you know, there's some grace here that must be extended because this is something that has always been uh, because of the evil one hard to understand. But and it's really not. But he's he's really complicated this thing. And it's not, you know, um, now this is what this epistle to Diognetus says. And this perfectly explains what was going on with this text. He says, and it is not. And is it not impious to slander God by alleging that he forbids us to do any good, any good thing on the Sabbath day? And you see, this guy doesn't have a problem with the Sabbath. His problem is with the Jewish regulations, just like Jesus had a problem with it. He says, and is it not also ridiculous to take pride in the mutilation of the flesh? as a sign of election, as though they were especially beloved by God because of this. And as for the way they watch the stars and the moon, so as to observe days, months, and to make distinctions between the changing seasons ordained by God, making some into feasts and others into times of mourning, according to their own inclinations, who would regard this as an example of godliness and not much more of a lack of understanding. And they were using astrology and they were saying, now this Sabbath is a feast Sabbath. This Sabbath is a fasting Sabbath. This is a special new moon here. You do this, this, this is the stuff was going on. And this guy in the epistle to Diognetus, he didn't have a problem with the Sabbath. Paul didn't have a problem to the Sabbath. That scripture in Colossians 2.16, it wouldn't even apply except to people that were trying to keep the Sabbath. So this is one of their big texts right here to say, now Paul, he th- did through the Sabbath out. So Jesus must have changed it. Well, uh, that's not at all what happened. And uh, that text there will help us. Now, There's a writing called the Apostolic Constitutions. Now, this is very close to the time of Constantine. And Constantine uh, came along in the fourth century. And we know that Constantine and Pope Sylvester, uh, they put in the, the Sunday Sabbath. But the Sunday Sabbath, it goes back to about 110 AD, where we can prove it there. We can prove in the second century they were honoring Seventh-day Sabbath. There were also believers honoring Sunday Sabbath. Now, here we go right before the time of Constantine, apostolic constitutions, and the main position was resting on the Sabbath, worshiping on Sunday. Now, here it is on the apostolic constitutions. On page 469, this is volume 7 of the Antonicene Fathers. It says, but keep the Sabbath and the Lord's Day festival, because the former is the memorial of the creation and the latter of the resurrection. Let's read that again. But keep the Sabbath and the Lord's Day festival. Now, here's what the devil does. Now, you got you to either do Sunday or you got to do Saturday. Sunday or Sabbath or Sunday or Saturday Sabbath. 
It's not A or B. It's both A and B, you see. And that's the way the early church was. Let's read it again. But keep the Sabbath and the Lord's Day festival, because the former is the memorial of the creation and the latter of the resurrection. It goes on to say on page 471, on the day of the resurrection of the Lord, that is the Lord's day, called in scripture the Lord's day and the first day of the week, assemble yourselves together without fail, giving thanks to God and praising him for those mercies God has bestowed upon you through Christ and has delivered you from ignorance, error, and bondage, that your sacrifice may be unspotted and acceptable to God, who has said concerning his universal church, in every place shall incense and a pure sacrifice be offered unto me. So we got to be careful. That's a sin to worship on Sunday. It's not. The sin is when you're worshiping on Sunday and you say the Sabbath's done away with. That's the problem. And I think it's an error for people to say it's been changed to Sunday. There's no evidence for it. I think it's wrong. Well, and there's evidence of all the disciples and all the first century church. They would get together every day of the week. Yeah. And fellowship. Yeah. Eat food, talk about God. But they the Sabbath was the Sabbath. It was yeah. different. It was a set apart day. Yeah. It doesn't mean so, you can't worship different days of the week, but Sabbath is Sabbath. Yeah. And for some reason, this gets lost in the, the dust cloud. And I think in America today, um, and I'll make fun of the Sunday worshipers, not because it's wrong to worship on Sunday, because today I don't think people worshiping on Sunday have any concept or idea. Well, I'm honoring the Sabbath today. I'm going to worship. I don't think that's even in their head. And I think most of them uh, aren't even thinking about the Sabbath. I, I think it's that bad. Maybe I'm too much of a, a glass half well, empty guy, but I, I can I, just I can just speak to my own life back in the day. Sunday was. A day I felt, honestly, I felt obligated to go to church in the morning. And then the rest of the day was to do whatever I wanted. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt. Yeah. And I think that now the, you, here again, I said we had the um, the Puritans, Reformed Doctrine, the Wesleyan Arminian, the uh, nonconformist Baptist like uh, Gil Spurgeon and uh, Tory, all of them were strong Sabbath teachers. Today, I'm not hearing that from anyone out there. I think the predominant idea on the Sabbath is, well, every day's a Sabbath, uh, or the Sabbath's done away. I don't think there's any, there's precious little understanding of honoring the Sabbath by there's going not. to church on Sunday. I, I That's my opinion, and I think it's a pretty valid one. I, I do don't too. hear the doctrine taught by the Puritans or by Wesley or by Gill or Spurgeon. I'm not hearing it out of people today. I'm hearing this, um, you know, Sabbath passed away, Ten Commandments are gone. This is the dispensational idea that has poisoned uh, the body, and they're going to pay for it. When we go into the last days, they're going to cut themselves off from the supernatural protection of God. Now, let's go to the scripture. Let's see 
And, you know, this is something people don't look for. They get in, well, we're going to argue for Sunday. We're going to argue for Saturday. And the people that believe in the Sunday Sabbath, they say, well, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Did he? And he also. Matthew 28 says something different. We just read it. The Sabbath was coming to an end as it dawned towards the first day of the week. He was already risen. Mary was on. He was already risen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's technically right. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't even rise on the first day of the week. Rolls before sunup. Yeah. That is, that is correct. And, uh, honoring the Sunday as the day of the resurrection, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the Sabbath. And, you know, but let's look at the uh, book of Acts. Let's see if we can find Saturday and Sunday there. And uh, it's both there. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 18 and verse 4. And the text says here, speaking of Paul, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Let's read Acts chapter 20, verse 7. So Paul honored the Sabbath, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And in Acts chapter 20, and he went in there to minister to them. You know, he went in there for a purpose. He went in there to debate with them and to share Christ with them. He wasn't going in there to return to synagogue worship. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says here, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech until midnight. So we can see right here in the book of Acts, honoring the Sabbath and the first day of the week. It's there. And this pattern continued as the predominant position right up till the time of Constantine, and even beyond that. You know, God's always had a remnant. But after Constantine, there in the uh, fourth century, things got really dark and uh, had what was called the Dark Ages. And from there to the Reformation, there's not a lot of bright lights that were shining. Things were things. Was it just really dark back then? (laughs) It was dark. It was spiritually dark. Spiritually dark. Yeah. And, um, I want to try to understand, we'll talk a little bit about the Sunday Sabbath position, how it came about. And after destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews began tremendous persecution on the Christians. You talk, you hear a lot about anti-Semitism, but for some reason, the persecution that we see of believers by Jews that is so well documented historically, you never hear about it. And you, you're not even supposed to talk about it. It's like we're just supposed to, you know, forget about that. But on page 21, this is the Apostolic Fathers in English. I'm using the Michael Holmes edition. That's the one I use. There's other editions out there that are acceptable. I like this one the best. Um, Now on page 21, Of this, I'm going to read about the 18 benedictions. Now, after the temple was destroyed, the Pharisees got together 
and they made the 18 benedictions that were to be read at every synagogue service. Now, this is the 12th of the 18th benedictions. It's called the Shemona Eshra, and this is what it says. It says, for the renegades, let there be no hope, and may the Nazarenes and the Manim heretics perish as in a moment and may be blotted out of the book of life and not enrolled with the righteous. Now, this was read at every synagogue service, and this was just like waving a red flag in front of the bull. And they were religiously inflamed to persecute and kill Christians. And this was something that happened not just once or twice, but it happened a lot. Yeah. On 160, in 167 AD, there was a man by the name of Polycarp that was martyred. And there's a New Testament document in the Apostolic Fathers called the Martyrdom of Polycarp. And um, I'll read something here from it. And it'll give us an idea of the role that the Jews played in the murder. Almost everyone of the second century apostles were murdered. Every one of them martyred. I don't know of a one that wasn't. Every one of them. Some great men. Polycarp was one of them. And uh, it says this. This is on... Uh, and wasn't Polycarp a direct disciple of John? Yes. Yep. Polycarp was taught uh, directly by the apostle John in Ephesus. And Polycarp taught Irenaeus. So he's another guy that's later in the Antonicene. We're early. We're in the Apostolic Fathers and in the Antonicene Fathers. Um, that was Irenaeus. So, yeah, okay. we got a pretty good connection here. Yeah. And this is what it says here on uh, chapter 13 and verse 1. He says, these things then happened with surprising swiftness, quicker than words could tell. The crowd swiftly collecting wood and kindling from the workshops and baths, the Jews being especially eager to assist in this, as is their custom. That was their custom. They loved getting the fire ready to burn a Christian. It goes on. This is uh, chapter 17 and verse 2. He says, all this was done at the instigation and insistence of the Jews who even watched when we were about to take the body from the fire. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they thought, you know, we'll make sure he's dead or what, but I mean, the Jews were zealous in the murder of Christians, not just once or twice, but many, many, many times. And we can see this right in the scripture too. Um, in the book of Acts, chapter 7 and verse 54. We know this text. Uh, when the first martyr, Stephen, was killed by the Jews, it says, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They hated him so much, they run up and bit him. Animals. I'm, they were zealous to burn a Christian in the fire. Some of the best and most godly of the second century apostles were killed by the Jews. And it's just like, uh, 
you know, this is just stuff you ain't supposed to talk about, but it's right in the Bible. It's all over the, the history. And this was one of the reasons why that they began to throw the baby out with the bathwater because they were killing them. They were persecuting them, destroying their homes and everything that they could do. Now, we'll look at another fella here. This was Justin Martyr. So you could understand when it come time to do Sukkot that you, you know, if you go down to do Sukkot with them, you don't come back. So, you know, you figure that out pretty quick that you're you're not going to want to fellowship with these guys. And it's a code of fall feast, a false one. It's a no, fall. It, feast. No, is it a fall feast or is it a spring? Yeah, feast? Tabernacles, yeah. You could see why that they would get a real bad taste in their mouth about the festivals and the Sabbath and why they wanted to totally yeah. separate themselves for it. Yeah. I mean, they're killing them. They're yeah. killing their their children, their wives, their husbands. And um, we'll look at a fellow by the name of Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr adopted the Sunday Sabbath position. He's about middle second century, and we're going to show it at the um, about 110 AD. We can take it back that far. But guess why they called him Justin Martyr? Because he lived a long, healthy life in the old probably age? Not. Probably not. So, you know, we're not talking a guy, about a guy that's some kind of a fast and loose guy that didn't love God. He gave his life for him, died a martyr for Jesus. So we're not talking about some loose living willy nilly guy here. And I've got the wrong volume here. Okay, you probably got this, it memorized anyway. Well, this is volume one of the apostolic or the, of the Antonicene fathers. Now, uh, it says this on, uh, the worship of Sunday. He says, and they, okay. It says, and they who are well to do and willing give what each thinks fit. He didn't teach tithing. What's wrong with him? He says, and what is collected is deposited with the president who suckers succors, I better say not suckers, but succors the orphans and widows <laughs> and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. They didn't build a building. They helped the poor and the sick and the widows. Strange. Well, if it you says, don't have that big note, you got money to feed people with. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. If you don't put it into mortar and steel, you can put it into people who, who succors the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers sort joining among, uh, among us and in a word takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God having wrought a change in the darkness and made and matter made the world. So, uh, we better be careful saying it's wrong to worship on Sunday because the early church did and they would honor Sabbath and do that. Then the Sunday Sabbath came along. Now I want to read a couple more things. Uh, Justin Martyr said, this is on page 202. 
He says, accordingly, these things have happened to you in fairness and justice, for you have slain the just one. And this is the dialogue with Trifo. Trifo was a Jewish rabbi. And this dialogue with Trifo is this long interaction with Justin Martyr and this Jewish rabbi. It's quite inter- yeah, it's quite entertaining. Yeah. He says, accordingly, these things have happened to you in fairness and justice, for you have slain the just one and his prophets before him. And now you reject those who hope in him and in him who sent him, God the Almighty and maker of all things, cursing in your synagogues those that believe on Christ. And this was a common practice, Jews cursing Christians in their synagogues. And it gets worse on page 207. How does it get worse? Well, you just don't curse them, you kill them. After you curse, you just go out and kill them. And on page 247, he says that they went even farther than that, and they killed him. Justin Martyr said, For you curse in your synagogues all those who are called from him Christians, and other nations effectively carry out the curse, putting to death those who simply confess themselves to be Christians. And we saw at the martyrdom of Polycarp, that it was all instigated by them. So everywhere throughout the world, they would curse them and they would do everything they could to bring about persecution of Christians. And this was in their 18 benedictions and it was horrific persecution by the Jews on the believers all through the second century. And we could read gobs of scriptures where it was there. So you hear a lot about anti-Semitism, but you don't hear about that. And, this is one of the big reasons why the Sunday Sabbath position, uh, why it came into being, because of, of that very thing. Now, but it was wrong. It was wrong. I yeah. believe it was wrong. Uh, now, let's look at about 110 AD, Ignatius, and we will look at his epistle to the Magnesians. And Ignatius to the Magnesians, 8 and 1, he talks about the absolute rejection of Judaism. He said, and be not, do not be deceived by strange doctrines or antiquated myths, since they are worthless. For if we continue to live in accordance with Judaism, we admit that we have not received grace. Then he goes on, and here's where the Sunday Sabbath position comes up. He says, if then those who had lived according to ancient practices came to the newness of hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but living in accordance with the Lord's day on which our life also arose through him and his death, which some deny. So here we see this man rejecting the Sabbath and going to Sunday. This is the earliest place we see it. We could put Justin Martyr in that camp. The epistle to a Diognetus, he was a honor the Sabbath guy. We got all the way up to four centuries. Still, the predominant position was honoring the Sabbath and worshiping on Sunday. So we got a lot of things going on here. And uh, 
was this guy a bad guy? Irenaeus died a martyr, just like Justin Martyr. All those guys in the second century, none of them got out of here alive. Killed them all. And uh, let's just look at a couple things, and we'll see if this fellow was just some kind of a, a knucklehead, and he wasn't. He was far from it. Um, well, through some of my readings, I've found some, some Puritans that I really love. I stumbled across some of their uh, thoughts on Sabbath, and it was the Lord's Day now. It was Sunday. It was the first day of the week. Yeah. And a lot of them, and a lot of them that I respect very much, they observed Sabbath on Sunday. And I think they were wrong. But if they were working six and resting one, I can't be too hard on them. Now, if you're just not trying to keep a day, I can be hard on that. Now, this is Ignatius's um, epistle to the Romans. And he says this. He says, observing the law of Christ, bearing the name of the Father, which I also greet in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, to those who are united in flesh and spirit, to every commandment of his who have been filled with the grace of God without wavering and filtered clear of every alien color, heartiest greetings blamelessly in Jesus Christ our God. We can hear the doctrine of Christ there, can't we? He was striving, and he believed that the example of Christ was that we should do it on Sunday. I think it was wrong. I think he had no scripture for it. But uh, he also goes on to say in the uh, his letter to the Philadelphians um, in the first chapter of the second verse, he said, speaking of the bishops, and the people that ruled the assemblies. He said, for he is tuned to the commandments as a harp to its strings. Therefore, my soul blesses his godly mind, well aware that it is virtuous and perfect, his steadfast character and his lack of anger as one living with all godly gentleness. No way he was saying that uh, the laws passed away that, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments aren't valid. He said, we need to be tuned to the commandments, you know, just like a string on a musical instrument. But he believed that Sunday was the Sabbath. And I believe he was absolutely wrong. But I cannot throw the guy into the abyss because he was observing the original heart of the Sabbath, working six, resting one, observing a day. So I think we got to be careful. Um... I think we need to really teach the truth, of course, obviously, but we've got to give people a little bit of grace because this is something that for obvious reasons, it's just very, very difficult for people to get sorted. Now, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1. And let's look at verses three through five. And let's think just a little bit here about when the Sabbath begins. And for people that worship and observe a Friday night sundown Sabbath, this is always what they go to. 
in Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. And God said, let there be light. Now, this is the very first thing that is said about the first day of creation. Now, I wonder if the day might have started then when God said, let there be light. That was the first thing happened. So I wonder if it might have started then. I bet it did. Now, if you would bring 10 first graders and ask them, now, does the day begin when the sun comes up? Or does the day begin when the sun goes down? You'd have 10 out of 10 first graders said the day begins when the sun comes up. Now, if you would get 10 Jewish rabbis, and if you would ask them now, does the day begin when the sun comes up? Or does the day begin when the sun goes down? 10 out of 10 of them would say it begins when the sun goes down. Now, I'm going with the first graders. <laughs> That's who I'm going with. Because, uh, you know, it's silly. And God said, let there be light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And it began with the light. It didn't start with the darkness. And the darkness he called night and the evening. Now, that word evening in the Hebrew it's number 6153, and it means the diminishing of light, dusk. Now, here's another real fact we don't want to miss. You cannot have evening without light because dusk is the diminishing of light. Yeah. So when did the day begin? Just like in the Bible, let there be light. And that evening with the morning is the first day. It's not the evening with the next morning, but the first day is the evening in the morning of the first day when God said, let there be light. And the so, morning is the time coming out of darkness into light. So that's just kind of the end of the, of the whole cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, not the beginning of it. No. And we read Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, and it tells us there. As it was dawning sun, towards the first up, day of the week. That's when it is. So, I mean, it's real clear to me in Scripture um, that, you know, that's when the Sabbath is. That's how I honor it. Yeah. I keep the Sabbath on the seventh day, Saturday, sunup Saturday, the sunup Sunday. But... I cannot, and I know in my own life, I have changed position on the Sabbath more than once. <laughs> and it's been, uh, it's kind of a slippery thing for people. And it even has been for me in my life. So I didn't come to this uh, 40 years ago. You know, I've been uh, serving the Lord and studying for a long time. So I have to give people a little grace here. And I know that, and to me, you got to just make it easy. You know, you got to make it easy. You just let the spirit of God lead you and let it be a joy. You know, yeah. don't try to micromanage it and, uh, you know, cause it'll just drive you crazy. Yeah. Now I wouldn't advise anybody to read seventh day Adventist material on the Sabbath. When I read it, I think I'm reading the Pharisees. <laughs> I tell you what, I've been studying one of the in-house arguments, um, 
on the Sabbath and the Seventh Day Adventist. And this is um, a guy by the name of P.D. Stewart. He's a Seventh Day Adventist, and he's here bickering with another Seventh Day Adventist. And basically, your old line Seventh Day Adventist, they said that worshiping on Sunday that this is the mark of the beast. And they maintain that in the early church, everyone that worshiped on Sunday was a pagan idol worshiper. And that's just not true. We can see very quickly right in the new Testament, they worshiped on Sunday and assembled. We see it with Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, even up to those that honored the Sabbath, they worshiped on Sunday. So, you know, that just doesn't hold up in any way, shape or form. But, I'll just read this just as a little understanding. That's how that comes from and comes about. And this is just a being a Pharisee about it. And it's false doctrine is just wrong. It does not bear out historically. We've seen from just the history we've read today that that just isn't true. Now, this is what Mr. Stewart says. And he is uh, snipping a bit at uh, Samuel Bacciochi. And I've read two of his books on the Sabbath. And, but this is what he said. He said, Professor Bacciochi asserts that the historical change began almost two centuries before Constantine promulgates his Sunday law for reasons to do with anti-Semitism. Now, you got to give Dr. Bacciochi a check on that one. He's exactly right. We see the Sunday Sabbath all the way back to 110 AD, mainly because of anti-Semitism. Now, to teach that worshiping on Sundays, the mark of the beast, you got to make everybody that has ever worshiped on Sunday uh, a pagan sun worshiper. And that's just not true. Yeah. So that's how that comes about. And, uh, you know, Mr. Stewart is just wrong. He's just wrong on that. And even now, there are Seventh-day Adventist scholars like Dr. 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 Bacalochi that has refuted that historically. And, you know, we've seen that just from this evening, that that is indeed the case. Okay. Let's look at one more text here, and uh, we'll put a ribbon on this. Um, let's go to Hebrews chapter four and let's talk about this. And, um, cause I'm glad, this you bring is, it. I'm glad you're bringing this one up. Well, and th this is another, one of the big deals that people try to make, um, about the Sabbath to use to just not honor the day, um, in Hebrews chapter four. Let's begin in verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, we could correctly say, that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest in Matthew 11. Well, and because, is, and because of him, 
we don't work for salvation anymore. He did the work on the cross. So I hear people use this scripture that way. Yeah. And that's true. Amen. He is our Sabbath rest. Mm -hmm. We enter into that rest spiritually and we cease from striving to save or sanctify ourselves when we rest in the cross. But that does not mean that you throw out the Ten Commandments and don't honor the day. I mean, this is nonsensical. You take this, and that's a beautiful truth, but to that they add, and oh yeah, by the way, the Ten Commandments are passed away, the Sabbath's gone. That isn't in there. I mean, it's nonsense. I mean, it's it's frustrating how that people will just add things to the Scripture that aren't there, and when you're throwing out the Ten Commandments, I tell you what, um, careful, careful, because that's something that's um, you just don't want to do that. Well, like I said earlier, which one of the ten do you think isn't applicable to a life of a Christian right now? Are you not supposed to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and mind and soul and have no other gods before him? Is that gone now? Uh, are you? Is it okay to have idols? Uh, is it okay to kill, steal, lie, uh, commit adultery? Is all that okay too? I mean, how do you... How are you just picking one thing out of Ten Commandments? But the rest of the so it should just be the nine commandments now? Because <laughs> well, every Christian will tell you the other nine exactly is good. Get the ten. And there are a couple of Protestant television networks that are reworking the one on Thou Shalt Not Steal. You know, they are reworking that one. But um yeah, I mean when we look at the doctrine of Christ, and let's read, I guess, Matthew 5 here. We'll kind of wrap up with that because uh, this is another. We've talked about this before, but I tell you what, people just don't hear the doctrine of Christ on this. And yeah. Matthew 5, verse 17, this is the doctrine of Christ. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments, now I'd say the Ten Commandments are probably the big ten, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, how we get ministers that take this and wind up, the Ten Commandments are gone. I think they're in trouble. They're in big trouble. You're not only disobeying the doctrine of Christ, you're disobeying the law of God. And this is the mark of God's end time remnant. So I hope that, uh, you know, in this teaching, we've helped some people to understand, to be able to let the Sabbath be a delight for you and a blessing in your life, to honor the Sabbath without being a Pharisee. And I know many, these, these scriptures are so plain and these facts are so clear that we can share them with people and people that want the truth, they're going to come into this. I know many people 
are coming in to honoring the Sabbath and understanding when the Sabbath really is. So that's why we're doing this to help people to be able to uh, let the Sabbath be a blessing for you. Because I guarantee you, it really, really is. And I think it's very important as we come into this time that we honor the Sabbath, that we can pray and expect the Father's supernatural provision. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doctrine of Christ. We pray that you have been both blessed and challenged by this teaching. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook. And until next time, may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you all.